welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 51 of the show for Monday, February the 1st, 2021. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so many, many ways to find the podcast. If you are an audio-only listener, you have Apple Podcasts, you have Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you are someone who watches on YouTube, all you need to do is search bar, Matt Bernier Show, you'll get this episode along with the 50 prior. Give you a little bit of rundown what to expect on this week's show. There will not be a Friday feature, and there's a little bit of a backstory to this. The Friday feature last week was Oaklawn's seventh race. We had help from Spencer Luganbuehl. Uh, there were a number of folks who correctly identified the winner. Uh, via the random draw, Tom Espinosa was the winner, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately. Fortunately for him, he has family in town. It's always a good thing. Uh, but unfortunately, couldn't be a guest here this week, timing-wise. Not the end of the world. Said so we'll figure something out down the road. It was already too late for me on Sunday, and I say too late. I probably could have tried to make something happen, but it was midday on Sunday afternoon. I didn't want to drop something into the laps of one of the other folks who had correctly identified the winner. So we're going to try to do something a little bit different. I already knew this was going to be heavy with some recaps. We're going to go over the derby preps that we've seen over the past week or two. Maybe next week, the winners or the folks who correctly identified the winner last week, maybe we can have a little bit of a roundtable. So Joel Salito is someone who has correctly identified the winner a number of times. The He has made it clear, though, that uh, from a technology standpoint, not really going to work there. So not the end of the world. Not going to argue with that. We'll say, Joe, you are on fire. You continue to pick winners. And I appreciate the write-up that you've been giving here uh, time and time again. It's, it's good information. And again, you are obviously a very, very competent handicapper. The other three folks, though, or three of the folks, Thomas Espinoza, uh, Peter Visco and Peter Appleby, uh, not only did they all correctly identify the winner, they have all been guests on this show in the past. So my goal for the three of you who I've just mentioned, I'd like to try to make something happen where it's four of us on a Zoom call next week, maybe going over the Friday feature. So I will try to reach out to you individually, but if you hear this before then, Feel free to reach out to me via the email address that you all are familiar with. And maybe we can have a little bit of an around-the-horn sort of feel for next week's Friday feature. Um, There's something to change it up a little bit. So there won't be one this week. This week is going to be all in on the Derby preps. We've had a great deal of action over the past two weeks, uh, this past weekend specifically. And I had happened to miss the Smarty Jones from Oakland Park when they opened up the week prior. So in order, we're going to go over the Bob Lewis from Santa Anita, the Holy Bull from Gulfstream, and the Smarty Jones from Oaklawn Park. Fair warning, the audio on the Holy Bull recap can be a little bit dodgy, a little bit hot mic, a little bit of a screwed up uh, piece from, from the user over here. I kind of jacked that up a little bit. Everything else is going to sound fine, though. So just fair warning, when we turn over to the Holy Bull, you may want to adjust your microphone or, excuse me, your uh, your headphones or your computer, whatever you're listening on. So that's what's to come there, and we'll wrap things up with a brief look at the $500 challenge, give you a little bit of an update on how things are going there. Again, questions, thoughts, whatever it may be about any of these prep races, I have given them all the Derby prep ratings, of what I think sort of on a one to 10 scale. I've already done that with the LeCompte. So now we have a, a sample of four as far as grades are concerned. Let me know if you agree or disagree. If I have overlooked some runners that maybe you think should be discussed in a little bit more in depth, or maybe I'm overrating or underrating 
some of these races beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. So that's what's to expect here in episode 51. Hopefully we can make that little fun piece happen for next week's show. But in the time being, let's talk about the Derby. Let's kick things off out in Southern California. I would say probably the most entertaining of these three prep races. Find out in time how effective it'll be. But we'll start things off with the grade three, Robert B. Lewis. Three horse photo to get things going. Grade three, Robert B. Lewis stakes on Saturday, January the 30th. Another interesting prep race because you can go so many different ways depending on your philosophy and the way that you approach these kind of races. I was on with ABR on Saturday. Please, uh, shameless plug, join us for the two last big prep races out at Santa Anita. Those are going to be coming up here in short order, the San Felipe as well as the Santa Anita Derby. But back to the task at hand here, this race, and if you're curious where you can find this replay, head on over to Santa Anita's YouTube channel. They upload all their races. They do a great job of putting things in there, and it's pretty straightforward. You just type in whether it's the name of the horse or the date and the race, X, Y, and Z. It all shows up there. Santa Anita Park does a really good job with their YouTube channel. This race, you can really make a case for either being a fantastic key prep going forward or a disaster and i'll get into that as we let the tape run they're going to break from the gate down on the inside medina spirit is going to be aggressively ridden from abel seed Cedillo going forward you see wipe the slate and those familiar redham silks on the outside pressuring things along with parnelli between runners this was a day where the racetrack was incredibly deep and tiring it was not yielding fast times which again Really not the end of the world, but from a speed figure standpoint and just overall an optical standpoint, for those of you who just look at times and say, oh, the race was good or bad, well, there's more to it than that. And when I first saw the time, I said, ooh, the race can't be that good. Upon further review, when you go back and look and see the times being yielded throughout the day, it's on par with just overall a slow racetrack, which is not the end of the world. That's what speed figures are for, to kind of put things into context. So you see the opening quarter, 22 and 4. They're going to get the opening half in 46 and 3. Medina Spirit is out here on the lead right now. Ears pricked, really kind of moving relatively comfortably. Wiped the slate first time taking on winners, stretching out in distances here. Parnelli has fallen back a little bit. He will continue to fall back. Now we're going to get into some of these other horses that you're going to want to keep an eye on. You have the number four Hot Rod Charlie making his first start since the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, a race in which he nearly shocked the world in a million to one, finished a very game second. Here, the number eight is Spielberg, the other Baffert horse in here, who, I mean, look, if we're just going to be honest, he he's not the he's not the sexiest horse, and there's serious questions about how good he actually is, despite the fact that he's a graded stakes winner. And then on the outside here is Roman Centurion, a horse who was taking on winners for the first time, um, and coming off of a maiden score, going two turns, felt like he wanted to run all day, but the jury was still out about how good he actually was. From a pace standpoint, when you factor in how slow the racetrack was playing, and how fast this fraction is, these horses up front are doing a lot of work, helping set things up sort of, I would say, in order from back to front. So helping the horses who are as far back as these two, Spielberg and Roman Centurion, helping but not quite as much a horse like Hot Rod Charlie, and then these horses that are in and amongst the pace, it's actually to their detriment. We're going to let the tape run, and there, this is a reason that I, I can't encourage folks enough to go back and watch replays. We're going to focus on Medina Spirit right now. Now, keep an eye on his ears. They keep flicking around, flicking around. That can be a sign to me, and again, 
Some people will agree with some of these things. Some people will disagree. It's entirely up to you. I'm telling you what I think. Either the horse is doing it well within himself, or he's getting a little bit goofy out there. Keep in mind, this is a horse who's run two times in his career, and he's just kind of figuring things out. He's playing around a little bit. Meanwhile, you got other horses who are going to start to feel the heat, whether it's the distance, whether it's the class, whatever it may be. They're going to start to pack things in a bit. Medina Spirit is still moving relatively well. You're going to see the ears go up again here momentarily. And the key piece for me, wait for it, wait for it, right here. The ears are going to pop up right there. Okay, straight up like a rabbit. At this point, you have in the white silks between horses, Hot Rod Charlie finding his stride. Roman Centurion is starting to put in a big bid from the rear. Another thing to keep an eye on, the number one Medina Spirit. He's going to be very early to change leads. Typically, I look at that as a major red flag. But if you want to run with the narrative that he's green, inexperienced, still figuring things out, you can be a little bit kinder. The fact that Abel Cedillo needs to get into this horse as much as he does, and then he responds... I think that just to me is building the case that he is inexperienced and he's just a little bit goofy still. But you're going to see very shortly, he's going to flip to his right lead right now. He just changed over to his right lead. I'll back it up for those of you on YouTube. Keep an eye on it one more time. He's on the lead. His ears are up. He's getting a little bit goofy right there, he changed it over to his right lead, which is very early. That's something that typically you're not going to see horses do until the top of the lane as they've already come off the turn. So, now, here we are. You've got the three horses who are going to make up your trifecta. They're getting ready to throw it down at the top of the lane. This, again, depends on your perspective of things. If you want to look at this and say Medina Spirit, as we run the tape, has dealt with all the early other pace pressure. He has put them, tucked them away, put them to bed. And you have these other two horses, Hot Rod Charlie, Roman Centurion, taking advantage of the pace scenario presented to them, and they still can't go by. It could be an indictment on those two. It could be a feather in the cap of Medina Spirit down on the inside. What it presented and what it overall resulted in was a phenomenal stretch run between these horses. But the big thing going forward is, how do you want to approach this race? Because I said it on the ABR stream. More often than not, when you have a dirt race with three horses across the wire, more often than not, it's a bad race. But if you want to go the other way and say this is actually a pretty, a pretty solid run, your case could be as simple as this. Medina Spirit dealt with intense early pressure over a track that was very deep and very tiring. Not only did he put them away, but he held off bids from closers who theoretically had the run of the race. Roman Centurion was making his first start against winners. He carried an exceptional amount of ground. He was incredibly wide throughout, which I don't necessarily think was a negative thing for him. But when you lose by a neck, you want to factor it in. So for his first time against winners, yes, he had some pace to run at, but all around, a pretty good effort. And Hot Rod Charlie was sort of in the darned if you do, darned if you don't position, because not only was this his first start since the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, he was a little bit closer to the pace than Roman Centurion was. So maybe that pace scenario kind of, while it did help his cause, didn't help as much as it did for Roman Centurion, who was starting a few lengths behind him. And Hot Rod Charlie was in between horses, bounced around a little bit at about the eighth pole, and still fought on to only lose by, let's call it, uh, just under a half length. For his first start in a handful of months, you could view this as a positive and say he's only going to move forward. 
I could say the same thing for Roman Centurion and for Medina Spirit. I've already laid out the case that if you want to say he put away the other speeds over a really tiring track and still fought on gamely, boom, beautiful. The negative is a very simple argument. Again, three horses across the wire. How good could it possibly have been? Another negative, perhaps, from a speed figure standpoint, 91 buyers for all three of the runners, which may not sound like a negative at face value, but when you factor in that Medina Spirit earned a 99 in his run prior, coming from well off the pace when he ran into his uncoupled stablemate, life is good. When you factor in that Hot Rod Charlie had earned a 94 as a two-year-old, and he comes back and he earns a 91, and I guess if you wanted to say, and, and again, it, it's it's the sort of progression I prefer to see. Roman Centurion, yes, he could have entirely, it's totally plausible that he moved up from an 80 to a 91, but if you want to say that, eh, you know, maybe he should have done better given the pace situation and, and all X, Y, and Z, that's entirely up to you. It's the beauty of handicapping. We all are able to form our own opinions. I initially, I was really torn with this race, and I still am. I feel like this one could either be the keyest of key races en route to the Kentucky Derby in 2021. Or we could look back in about a month and a half, two months time and say, okay, these these horses are a, a notch below the real cream of the crop. The 91 buyers that the three horses earned, I'm very, very content with that. Oh, hello. Hello, Siri. Boy, she keeps she, she keeps popping up in the middle of the podcast. Anyway, back to that. The 91s that the three horses all earned, I think very solid, very respectable at this time of year. I went over that, sort of what we should be looking for or what I look for, for horses to be earning figs at this time of year to think of them as legitimate contenders for the first Saturday in May. You can go back to that podcast. I don't know if it was last week or the week before. Um, it just, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated. And I need to know what all of you think either on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or preferably beneath the video player on YouTube because this to me is a polarizing prep race and we won't know until we have more data to work with until these horses come back and run out of it and ultimately what sort of the landscape looks like going forward. My my two, two cents coming out of this. I'm going to give this race a 7 on the Derby prep rating of a 1 to 10. I'm going to give it a 7 and we'll get into the, the Holy Bowl and we'll discuss the run from Oaklawn last week as well. But th- this to me is a race that I could very easily be going back and looking and saying, that seven should have been a four. Or, or if you want to look at it through rose-colored lens, maybe that seven should have been an eight or a nine. Uh, it's it's going to be fascinating to see Medina Spirit. I get the impression watching him run that he's still green. He's still figuring things out. There is ability here. I'll be curious to see what a race like this does to him. Does it move him forward? And if it does, boy, is he dangerous. Or does it take some of the starch out of him because he had to work as hard as he did? Roman Centurion, I liked him going into the race. I bet him. I bet the exacta. I like him coming out of it, assuming the race ends up being a productive race. If we, you know, in hindsight, look back and say, uh, the race wasn't very good, then you know what? Maybe he just kind of took advantage of the circumstances. I would love Simon Callahan and company to get him out of California. Run this horse at the fairgrounds. Run this horse at Oakland Park, somewhere that's not Santa Anita, because I don't think it's always going to work out to this horse's advantage. He has caught lively paces in both of his two-turn races. I'd like to see him somewhere else. Don't know if the connections will do that, but that would just be my hope. And with Hot Rod Charlie... This is far from an offensive 
return to the races. In fact, I, I would venture a guess to say the Connections are probably very thrilled with this. He doesn't really need to prove things by winning races. Yes, you need points, and, and unfortunately, you're going to end up with the least amount in this spot. But I think this is a really nice starting off point for a horse who has shown that he can run at different racetracks now. Obviously, the big run at Keeneland, he can handle Santa Anita, no problem. And you assume this is a means to an end. We're shaking the rust off, and we're going to have him ready to go as this road to the Kentucky Derby progresses. So I'm going to give this a seven right now. As far as the other three horses, I would very quickly say Spielberg, I just don't think he's very good. Wipe the slate, turn him back to one turn. And Parnelli, he just kind of keeps running the same race for the most part. I recognize this was a pretty big uh, drop as far as the speed figure is concerned. I think he kind of is what he is. I think he's a high 70, low 80 type. Um, Maybe you can find a spot for him. But right now, I don't view any of the bottom three as uh, prospects for the road to the Derby. Let me know what your thoughts are. About the grade three Robert B. Lewis. Again, either on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on YouTube. Grade three Holy Bull. Ten points go to the winner as far as points toward the starting gate for the first Saturday in May at Churchill Downs. Uh, from a wagering standpoint, this race was sort of it boiled down to three horses. You had Todd Pletcher's prime factor making his first try against winners. First try going two turns against really talented runners. He went off at just over even money when it was all said and done. Second choice is greatest honor for Suge McGahee, a horse who distance-wise, it always just felt like longer was going to be better for him. Mile and a 16th, I think he needed to prove a little bit of brilliance, if there was any, to really stamp himself as a, as a contender for the Kentucky Derby. And the third choice was Papadou or Papitu, however you would like to pronounce that. He was at five to one. Everybody else was double-digit odds. Come post time is we're going to let the tape roll again. This is from Gulfstream Park's YouTube channel. They upload all their races over there. They do a great job. You get all the sort of pre-race shows or or early day previews, whatever we want to call them. Uh, It's all over there on Gulfstream Park's YouTube channel. We're going to let the tape roll and you're going to see Pletcher's horse, Prime Factor, gets hung about four wide going around the first turn. Not a totally unexpected trip. You know, if some of these other horses weren't as sharp or I would say aggressively ridden, specifically Tarantino, you could have seen a scenario in which perhaps Arad Ortiz took control of things. But with the other three down to the inside being intent on being forwardly placed, Arad is content being parked four or five path rounding that first turn. And again, based on that career debut and what he had been doing in the mornings, I think if you are someone who backed this horse, I liked him. I was hopeful we were going to get closer to eight to five. Instead, he went off at even money. But the point the point is, it always felt like this was a horse who, if he was as good as it looked, it really wouldn't matter. Now, you did need to deal with first time going against winners and stretching out and the whole nine. But it, it felt like from a from a brilliant standpoint, if he had it, it really wouldn't matter if he was hung a little bit wide in this position. And in the grand scheme of things, you're you're tracking some some long shots. You should be able to take advantage if you're good enough. The concern outside of that was, what would Greatest Honor do for Suge? Now, you're going to see Jose Ortiz has him well off the pace. And from a fractional standpoint, despite it being Gulfstream Park, or I should say in spite of it being Gulfstream Park, from a number standpoint, I thought it was a a reasonable pace. It was far from a ballistic one, 23-1 for the opening quarter, 46-4 for the opening half. Going two turns at Gulfstream, that, that's really just sort of, I would say, moderate. I don't think that's anything crazy. So for greatest honor to be as far back as he is, and you can see he's in sort of like the greenish-blue silk splitting horses right now down the backside, this is not a disaster, but I think it's important that Jose Ortiz gets the horse a little bit closer to the front because the last thing you want to do is have a horse who has plenty of run, but you just have way too much ground to make up. In this race, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. 
right now, if you are a fan of Prime Factor, or you were someone who backed him, you had to be thinking we need to start gaining some separation because if this turns into a stamina contest, Greatest Honor, more likely than not, is going to win this battle because he has the foundation, he's already encountered two turns a number of times in his career, and if you did have questions about the pedigree, it was certainly in Greatest Honor's favor as opposed to Prime Factor. So Prime Factor and a horse like this, typically, the way when I look at a horse like this, who does something so brilliantly in the debut and stretching out and has a number of obstacles to overcome, this is kind of the key point in the race. If you can start to get away, then I think you're going to be okay. The problem is in this spot, Prime Factor couldn't get away. I'm going to let the tape roll again. You see Jose is basically drafting just in behind Prime Factor. It's a beautiful ride all around. Jose ends up tipping out 4-5 or five path. And again, he's got a full head of steam. Last thing you want to do is get a horse like this stopped. Let him roll on with it. Things are moving pretty well. Prime Factor, meanwhile, when you see that he's kind of having a hard time running down a horse in Tarantino, who's been all out basically just inside a half mile, red flag around, no question about it. Right now, at this point, it's basically all said and done. It's a matter of how many lengths is Greatest Honor going to win by, not a matter of if he's going to win the race. The real interesting aspect for me watching this stretch run is not just the fact that Greatest Honor kicks away as impressively as he does. It's that Prime Factor can't even get second. Tarantino, who again had been under basically an all-out ride for quite some time, he ends up a pretty clear-cut second. Then you see Prime Factor ending up third in a spot like this. So... What do you want to do with all this? Greatest Honor wins. He gets 10 points toward the Kentucky Derby. Tarantino finishes second. Prime Factor third. Uh, Papito or Papatu finishes fourth. From a numbers standpoint, I think it's... Uh, a, well, let's just specifically talk about the winner. Greatest Honor, I think this is a, pr a pretty good effort all around. I think this is something that the connections have to be excited by. And I think anybody who is a fan of this horse... And even if you're not a fan of the horse, I think you need to at least acknowledge the fact that this is a, a up-and-coming horse for a trainer who typically brings them along when he sees fit, when he thinks they're ready. For Suge to have this horse, and, and the parallels have been drawn, this is really not that dissimilar from the path we saw a number of years ago with Orb. He's winning similar races, he is has relatively similar running style, and he continues to improve, but it's not by leaps and bounds. It's incremental steps forward. An 89 buyer speed figure for Greatest Honor winning this race. That's on the heels of an 83 in his run prior, a 79 prior to that, a 77 in his second lifetime, starting a 72 in his career debut. So this is a horse who is making those incremental steps forward that I love to see at this time of year, rather than the 15, 20, 30 point jumps. From a timing standpoint and the way that he finished... He got his come home time in 31.39. To put that into perspective, when you take a look at the second fastest finish, the second fastest come home time in the race that belonged to Tarantino, who was well beaten clearly, and you could see that Greatest Honor was getting away from him down the lane, Tarantino came home in 32.79. I mean, you're, you're looking at nearly an eight-length difference there. Um, so, or I shouldn't say, closer to six. But the, the, the point is, this, this was a very, very impressive finish from greatest honor it bodes well for distance it feels like the longer the better for him the concern if you're trying to play devil's advocate is based on recent history and running styles in the kentucky derby this past year included with the race being run in september and i recognize you know it's a bit of an anomaly but in reality the way the race was run very similar to what we've seen from the successful runners in the past 10 years let's say typically it's a race that is won by horses who are more forwardly placed 
Greatest honor, I suppose it's possible he has the ability to be more forward. But thus far, it feels like his greatest asset is his stamina. And yes, that is important in a mile and a quarter, but you also need to have a little bit of tactical ability. And I'm I'm mildly optimistic because of the move that Jose Ortiz made down the backside, splitting horses to get up into a position which, in the grand scheme of things, I think it takes a good horse to be able to do that sort of thing. Now, he doesn't necessarily have the athleticism of a tis the law that we saw last year, but for him to be able to go through, and if you look at incremental splits uh, provided by something, a tool like DRF's formulator, that second quarter mile was actually the fastest in the race from any horse that was registered by greatest honor in 2347. So I think there's reason to be optimistic about this horse's ability to maybe sit a little bit closer to the pace. Now, again, this was far from a wicked pace scenario signed on, but I I think if you like this horse or you're someone who has some action already in on him as far as maybe a future is concerned, or you're just trying to put together your rankings, I think greatest honor deserves to be Maybe not necessarily at the top, but pretty darn close to it. He's got to be, I would assume, in the top five right now. Um, Both a product of the fact that we haven't had a ton of prep races, proper Kentucky Derby prep races. um, And just overall, it's very early in the year. But I I think he would very clearly have to be in the top five. For many people, probably top three. And for some folks, probably right on top. I did the same thing with the run down at the fairgrounds just a couple weeks ago. Grading. The Derby preps, I'm going to do that all throughout the year. I gave that run, the LeCompte, a 5 out of 10. Just because it was early on from a speed figure standpoint, it was fine. It was good. You know, it's not like it was an offensive race, but it also wasn't going to set any land speed records. And it's early on, and you want to have a little bit of margin for error. This race, I'm going to give a 6. And mainly it's because I'm more optimistic right now, keeping in mind it's February 1st. We got a long way to go. We got three months ahead of us. But watching the two replays and watching the way these horses move and the connections involved, I think of the the three horses coming from that LeCompte that we sort of discussed, and this horse, Greatest Honor, I feel like Greatest Honor has the most upside, the most potential for a run in the Kentucky Derby. That's my feel right now. Let me know if you agree or disagree beneath the video player on YouTube. The reason it's only a six, though, is because of the balance of the field. And we'll start with Prime Factor. For him showing up and dropping the egg that he did, you can't help but be disappointed. And you also, at least this is my philosophy, it it makes it that much more difficult to really assess a prep race when the sort of other horse, if there are two highly fancied runners, doesn't show up. And Prime Factor didn't show up for whatever reason, whether it was the distance whether it was the breeding, whether it was the company, whatever the case may have been, he just didn't show up. He laid an egg. And when a horse like Tarantino runs second, and this is not meant to be a slight against his new outfit, goes out for Rudolph Brisset's barn, I, I can't help but notice that the first two starts of his career were on grass in Southern California for Bob Baffert. And we've talked about how Baffert, if, if we're calling a spade a spade, not all that good as far as a turf trainer is concerned. So for this horse to debut on the grass, maybe it was all part of a grand plan. I have no idea. But if I'm just looking at what is presented to me, for the horse to be starting on turf, red flag, despite the fact that he's run really well on grass. 
I think if Baffert thought he was the bee's knees and he was a proper sort of derby kind of contender, he would have started him on dirt. He does it with all of his horses. And again, maybe there's a maybe there's a, a greater story there. Maybe there's a feet thing, whatever it may be. But for him to hang on for second, he earned an 80 buyer. I, I'm just underwhelmed by that. And if if Prime Factor had had dueled with Greatest Honor and, and Greatest Honor still prevailed and they both earned those high 80 buyers, I would say, you know what? Maybe this is a seven, perhaps an eight, because they both look like they have great potential. But for the, the favorite to drop an egg the way that he did, for Tarantino, who I don't know how good he actually is to run second, when it looked like he was going to finish up the track rounding the far turn, it makes me just overall question the runners behind Greatest Honor. It's not an indictment on Greatest Honor, but it just it's preventing me from grading this race any higher. And who knows, in time, maybe we'll look back or I'll look back and say, this should have been a seven or an eight. But for right now, I'm going to give it a six and say Greatest Honor for Shug McGahee and company. He's won. If you if you didn't believe before, I think you have to at least consider the fact that this is a a not just a candidate to run in the Kentucky Derby, that maybe he's he's a, he's a candidate to win the whole thing. Going back a little ways now to the Smarty Jones. This was run on January twenty second uh, down at Oaklawn Park. This is a two turn one mile event, and you're going to see a bit of a tour de force here from Cotto River. Speed figure-wise, the race comes back strong. I'm just going to let the tape roll because it's really not a hell of a lot to see other than this horse just going off and strutting his stuff. This video you can find over on Oaklawn Park's YouTube channel. They do a great job. Again, they post it up there. You can go and watch all their replays, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Cotto River, flow aboard. Brad Cox, go out there. Fractions, 23.12. Uh, second quarter was 24.04. Third quarter, 25.26 as he's starting to get away. And then down the lane, he finishes in 25.77 geared down. You see him just loving life out on the front end. He, like, he was bet like he was supposed to go out and do this, and he did just that. From a number standpoint, it's a strong race. I mean, he earned a 92 buyer speed figure. This is a horse who has really done little wrong in four lifetime starts. I will say... The two victories have come in gates of wire fashion. The run three starts back at Belmont Park, though, he did come from off the pace, actually passed horses, and then just got run down at the end. So I don't know if I want to totally say he's a one-dimensional speed type at the moment, but this was a derby prep, and it's worth going over. If I'm going over all of them, we might as well do this one. And for whatever reason, I didn't do it last week. So here we are making up for lost time. I, I thought this was a nice effort. I'm going to be curious to see what happens when he faces more pace pressure, when he faces better horses. I mean, I understand Cowan was in here, but I'm, I'm not thrilled with that horse. Um, you know, all around, fine. I'm going, to give the, I'm going to give the prep a five, just because at this point, I really don't know what this horse is. He didn't prove really anything to me other than the fact that he can run fast when he's out there controlling things. Um, he could be the big horse for Brad Cox here as a three-year-old as far as the boys go. Um, or he could just be another one of those types where when he gets headed, going longer against better horses, there's something to prove. Now, from a pedigree standpoint, I mean, hard spunk can kind of go either way, uh, but you take a look at the dam. You know, Pangburn, she was a long-winded type. Uh, one of her siblings was Aries Two, who won the Allaire DuPont Distaff, which is a long-distance race on dirt. So, you know, there, there's reason to believe that the distance isn't going to be the thing that does this one in. I just, I get really, I don't want to say apprehensive, but I, I got to see what happens when you are sort of dealt some adversity. Can you overcome it? 
when there's other speed in the race? Can you sit if you have to? Can you put other speed away even if speed is your game? Can you do what Medina Spirit did? You know, we, we don't know that just yet, but I'm also not going to sit here and say a horse trained by Brad Cox, ridden by Florent Giroux, uh, and with a pedigree that suggests, you know, uh, I don't know about a mile and a quarter, but right now, no reason to think that the distance is going to bite this one. I, I'm not, I'm just not ready to write this one off. Let's put it that way. Um, of the three preps discussed here on today's pod, this to me is the lowest of the three, but it really has nothing, nothing necessarily to do with the fact that I may or may not like the horse. It has everything to do with, I, I didn't learn anything here. This horse is very good when allowed to go out there and strut his stuff on the front end. I, I learned that greatest honor can overcome a little bit and, and make a bit of a trip for himself. And distance, it feels like, is only going to get better as he, you know, as things progress. And then at Santa Anita, at least you have, again, you can make a call one way or the other, say it was good or bad. This race, again, kind of is what it is. And we'll see going forward. Maybe this horse is a superstar, or maybe when the water gets deeper and he has to deal with some other pace pressure, things won't go quite so swimmingly. I'm going to give this race a five as far as my little prep rating is concerned. And the good news is we'll find out in short order when some of these next preps are being run, whether it's at Oakland, whether it's at Fairgrounds. Those races are only a few weeks away. So that'll button this up. Again, of all three of the prep races, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube what your thoughts are. Good, bad, and different. Give some ratings. Identify some horses you're keeping your eye on. And maybe some horses that I overlooked and I need to keep an eye on as well. Let's take a quick look at the update regarding the $500 challenge. And we'll wrap up episode 51. Wrap up episode 51 with an update on the $500 challenge. Now, we've been going for a couple of weeks now. The numbers still aren't good. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not going to fret over it anymore. There have been a couple of near misses. $387 have been churned. The bankroll now sits at $245.30. 12% 50% in the money. The average odds are 5.22 to 1. That roughly equates to 17%, give or take a half point here or there. So about 5% under what the actual strike rate should be. But again, it's just, you know, just uh, unlucky in a couple instances, especially this past week, uh, 24-7 down at Gulfstream Park in the 10th on the 28th of January. He loses by a head at 10 to 1. That, you know, certainly would have helped cause, helped things. Uh, and then just the other day, we talked about Roman Centurion. We talked about that uh, Bob Lewis earlier here in the pod. You know, if, if he gets the job done at 11 to 1 as opposed to losing by a, by a head, you know, obviously we're, we're talking about a different story here, both from a win percentage standpoint and from an, uh, excuse me, a, uh, a bankroll standpoint. So it is what it is. Stuff happens. Swap out stuff with the real word, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, so we're plugging along, again, got a long way to go. And the good thing is this is not a time sensitive sort of challenge. It's just trying to get to that 10k churn and we are we are well away from that so we have time but it's a, a fun little exercise if any of you are playing along doing something different whether it's 100 500,000 10,000 10 dollars whatever it is uh, let me know how things are going uh, we're going to wrap up episode 51 though uh, with that piece so uh, however you've been listening thank you for doing so if you are a podcast only listener you have Apple Podcasts you have Spotify you have SoundCloud you have in the money podcast.com if you are over on YouTube 
All you got to do is search bar, Matt Bernie, your show. You get this episode along with 50 prior. Please rate, review, and subscribe however you're listening uh, over on YouTube as well. Make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. And give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Entirely up to you. Follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. And until next week with episode 52, this has been episode 51 of the Matt Bernier Show. Best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.